Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash from a feminist perspective. My name is Katie Winton. And I'm Tanya Ali. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history. Coming up on Agenda, we'll be chatting to Megan Wilding, who stars in Blacky Blacky Brown, which is a wild, twisted, hilarious origin story by Nakia Louie, which is currently on at Sydney Theatre Company's Wharf 2 uh, until June 30. Katie, you've seen Blacky Blacky Brown, right? <laughs> I have. I went to opening night uh, and it's it's... It was really amazing for so many reasons. I think conceptually it was incredible. Um, the stage design was incredible. Like the storyline was epic. Like everything was just really Ticking well combined. Yes. Um, so it's kind of the revenge story of a quiet, uh, mild-mannered archaeologist called Jacqueline Black. And she finds a skull on a dig, which uncovers a mass grave. And the skull actually holds the spirit of her great-great-grandmother who instructs her to kill all of the descendants of the men who massacred her indigenous ancestors. So she goes on this mission and runs around basically like killing everyone. Uh, there are about, she's got about 400 people she needs to kill in two weeks. And she kind of, it follows her killing everyone and going through all of these really funny scenarios where, you know, there are a lot of casually racist people that are making really awful comments. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's very um, well done in that sense. But then she encounters a, color, uh, a woman of colour called Rebecca, uh, whose mum was the paid bride of one of the men who was the descendants of the people that she's trying to find. And um, it gets really tricky and complicated and they, be- they become friends. Um, and I guess it's really about that complicated nature of anger and revenge and how there's like no right way to navigate living in a colonial country as a First Nations person um, and what that kind of struggle, I guess, looks like. Um, and also, I've just never seen a play like that. Like the visuals were so intertwined with the acting and it. You've got to go and see it. It's really hard to uh, describe it in, in, <laughs> in a so non-visual medium. Do that. Yes, but. Um, but the incredible Emily Johnson created illustrations that were animated by Oh Yeah Wow, and it just—it's like the actors kind of interact with the animations on this Whoa. set, uh, and it's yeah, it's I amazing. I feel like that's really taking like comics to the stage, which is awesome. To- it totally does that. Like yeah. it feels like you're watching an animated comic book, ah. um, and they and also I think. That looks like something that seems quite difficult to do as an actor. Like, I was so impressed by the way that they... There would be so many cues to have to navigate something that is not a live person that's next to (laughs) you. There's this one scene where they're driving... There's two characters driving a car and one of the characters is actually a projection and the other one is in... it's, It's like... Yeah, it's so... It's amazing. That totally blew me away. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait to see it. Uh, we are talking about feminist superheroes and thoughts that count today. And on that note, the feminist superhero of my heart and <laughs> legit epitome of matriarchal guidance, Solange, is in town. <laughs> um, I was lucky enough to see her last night and I was 100% a mess of 
feelings afterwards. <laughs> um, she was so incredible. She made me cry multiple times. And there are so many things I want to talk about, but only after she finishes the next three nights, because I feel like this is an instance in which no spoilers is super <laughs> relevant. I just want everyone to get the chance to experience her sherry uh, for the first time. But one thing I do want to say is that she casually mentioned that Kelly Rowland was somewhere in the Whoa. building last night. I know, oh she, just, she was just like a, um, you know, super wild. I just, I was so excited <laughs> when she said I'm also just so impressed by your um, care for audiences who maybe haven't seen it and are going to. Like, yeah. I got here this morning and was like, oh my God, Tanya, how was it? And you were like, um, I don't want to ruin it for you, so I'm just not going to put anything on my Instagram. I feel like when I see a show, I don't care who's going to see it next. I'm like, I need everyone to know that I've seen Solange. Um, so thank you for that no really uh, caring description. Um, if you're feeling major FOMO right now, all is not lost. There are still limited tickets available for all nights, so just head to sydneyoperahouse.com and snap one up. In other news, after sexual assault allegations against US rapper Riff Raff, uh, his entire upcoming Australian tour has been cancelled. Yeah, he was scheduled to play a gig at the Corner Hotel in Melbourne and the gig has been replaced by a launch of Melbourne Collective Listens database of women, non-binary, trans and gender non-conforming people who make music uh, alongside a panel discussion on uh, the hashtag Me Too and the local music industry, which is such great news because that Listen Lists database yeah. is like such a good starting point for no excuses in booking more women across all aspects of like production backup house music like not just the lead that everyone sees I think it's such a good initiative I'm so excited about it absolutely I feel like the whole response is an example of maybe the best way that venues and promoters can react to news like this immediate cancellation releasing statements of support for survivors of sexual assault and then also emphasizing the importance of their venues being safe spaces and then on top of that using those venues for events that actually empower and facilitate discussion about these very issues and their prevalence in the music industry I'm kind of surprised that it unfolded this way so quickly but super impressed and glad yeah I'm I'm yeah I think that's a really incredible very quick response to something yeah. so good on them uh stick around because after this we're going to be talking about the complex and turbulent history of the portrayal of women in superhero comics so we would also like to know who your feminist superheroes are please text us uh fictional or non-fictional doesn't matter uh <laughs> 0409 945 945 who is your feminist superhero and why I think that we should actually play a Solange track. That's true. In in spirit of... Uh, yeah. Do you, do you have a request? I mean, you chuck anything on that you can okay. find because everything is golden by okay. her. But um, the good thing was that she played a... Like, it's a it's a substantial set, so you really get to hear every, every golden track. But this one that you're going to play was maybe the best. Okay. <laughs> Work it away 
But that just made me even sadder I tried to keep myself busy I ran around in circles Think I made myself dizzy I slept it away I sexed it away I read it away 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 Well it's to Agenda on FBI Radio and it is now time for Thoughts That Count this week where we are asking you who your feminist superheroes are. Please text us on 0409 945 945. We got a super cute text from Carly that said, hey guys, my feminist superhero is my mum. I love that. Uh, and then I got a really cute text from my mum which says, you're my feminist superhero, your Women in the Arts initiative and Agenda are such powerful platforms for change, totally in awe. Love you. Uh, mum is my number one fan. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, very mom. much agreed 
with Mama Winton. That is so lovely. We actually put this one out to the Women in the Arts Instagram page earlier this week and you came back with some classic feminist heroes like Bell Hooks, Roxanne Gay and Rose McGowan to name a few. Katie, who are your feminist superheroes? Oh, this is super dorky and probably not going to come as a surprise based on my love for love song dedications <laughs> to my friends. <laughs> um, but you and Mari are definitely my feminist Aww. superheroes, like big time. And also, like, there are just so many amazing people in my day-to-day life uh, that I'm really happy to be around. My boss, Joy, who is the owner of The Bearded Tit, which is a bar in Redfern, immediately springs to mind. She runs that place like such a tight ship and she always works super hard to create a space that's like safe and inclusive. She's really just a very inspiring person to be around and I genuinely think she's like the Redfern feminist superhero. Yes. Um, also Isabel Hawthorburn, Nerida Ross, Nadia Hernandez, Kelly Elkin, Courtney Sanders, Emily Collins, Ellie Graham, Jessica Robertson, Oni Blue, Georgia Mokak. They've all just like taught me so much about different aspects of feminism, whether it's directly or indirectly, like just in their ways of being in the world. Um, honestly, I really don't know what I would do with without so much incredible matriarchal guidance in my life. Yeah, I yeah, that is so beautiful. I am a little bit speechless. That was the cutest thing ever. It's true, though. <laughs> um, we are going to talk a little later about a literal comic feminist superhero who is super close to my heart. But I was having a think about the question, you know, who, who are your feminist superheroes? And, Katie, did you ever watch Avatar, The Last Airbender? <laughs> this is something that our last co-host, Izzy, used to make fun of me for all the time. I've got very limited movie and TV knowledge, so I'm going to have to say no. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, To be honest, same. But um, to fill you in, it was a Nickelodeon cartoon that ran from 2003 to 2008, and then there was a subsequent series set in the same world that came out, I think, starting 2012, titled The Legend of Korra, which was this mad steampunk, science fiction, comedy drama TV show, um, super beautifully made, and it was really, really complex, especially coming from a Nickelodeon cartoon. Without going too much into the intricacies of the world because I could possibly <laughs> talk about it forever. Um, I feel like Cora is probably my number one feminist superhero. She's essentially a character who's born with powers that mean that she has to maintain peace and balance in her world. But she's also only 17 and is really headstrong and impulsive and a really imperfect hero, which I feel like is super important. Um, I can't recommend the show enough. It's so well thought out and shows a really rad, nuanced feminism. Uh, I'll definitely put it on my long list of TV shows (laughs) and movie to watch. (laughs) Uh, Feminism and superheroes have always had a pretty turbulent history. In the 50s and 60s, although many female superheroes were created and featured in comics, very few starred in their own series or achieved standalone success. There were mostly supporting characters like the Wasp and the Invisible Girl who were both introduced as team characters and Batgirl and Catwoman who both debuted as supporting characters in the Batman comics. Yeah, this is super interesting. There was like a website that was made about this in the 90s called Women in Refrigerators <laughs> um, and the term was coined by feminist writer Gail Simone and it referenced an incident in the Green Lantern comics uh, which was written by Ron Mars in which Kyle Rayner, uh, who's the title hero, comes home to his apartment to find that his girlfriend Alexandra DeWitt has been killed by the villain Major Force um, and stuffed into a refrigerator. Whoa. So Simone and her colleagues developed a list of fictional female characters who had been like either killed, maimed, or depowered in particular ways um, that treated the female character as like you know the classic device to move a male character's mm-hmm. story arc forward, um, and rather than a fully developed character like in their own right. So. 
In response to fans that argued that male characters are often also killed, uh, content editor John Bartle wrote Dead Men Defrosting, which is an <laughs> article argument that when male superheroes are killed or altered, they're more typically returned to their status quo. So according to Bartle, uh, after most female characters are altered, they are never allowed, as male heroes usually are, to the chance to return to their original heroic states. So that's where we begin to see the difference. Mm. The first female superhero who had her own title was Wonder Woman. It was actually around the time of World War II that Wonder Woman was first introduced to the DC universe by psychologist William Moulton Marston as a way of combating what he called the blood-curdling masculinity of superhero <laughs> comics at the time. Marston, who also happened to be the creator of The Lie Detector, uh, was inspired by his wife, Elizabeth Marston, and apparently their polyamorous partner Olive Byrne, who were both noted feminists. He was also interested in the women's suffrage movement and in Margaret Sanger, the birth control and women's rights activist, who was also Olive Byrne's aunt. So many connections. Yeah, it's a pretty complex origin story and the character herself was really complex. So while inspired by feminism, it wasn't exactly the feminist victory that fans had hoped for. And I think we've seen this continually. Mm. Um, One of the things that's a defining element of Wonder Woman is that if a man binds her in chains, she loses all of her Amazonian strength. So Marston insisted that Wonder Woman be chained or otherwise bound in every issue, telling his DC editor that women enjoy submission. Um, <laughs> though she always manages to break free of these chains, which you know signifies her emancipation from men, um, as Marston would also say. So the chains reflected a lot of the iconography from the suffrage movement where women would march in chains and also chain themselves to the gate outside the White House in protest. The other inspiration, of course, were the Varga Girls, the pinup girls of the 1940s, painted by Peruvian artist Alberto Varga for Esquire magazine. They were noted for their exotic beauty and signified a step (laughs) away from the earlier conventions of all-American beauty, and this was reflected in Wonder Woman's Amazonian background. So some exoticization and stereotyping was involved, but I guess it was also a vehicle for creating a female character who was both visibly strong and not the blonde all-American beauty type that was prevalent at the time. Yeah, and I guess in 2017, which is 76 years after her debut, uh, Wonder Woman starred in her first solo feature film. So it came after DC writer Greg Rucker uh, confirmed in 2016 the long-standing belief that Wonder Woman is canonically gay and that her place of origin, Paradise Island, is a queer culture. So Patty Jenkins, the director of the 2017 film, was quoted saying, I don't think of myself as a female filmmaker and I don't think about Wonder Woman as a female film. She's a major superhero. Mm. <laughs> 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 Which, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yes, there was a lot of discussion following the film, though, on whether or not it was feminist. So The Guardian hailed it as a masterpiece of subversive feminism, saying that women safeguarding the world from male violence, not with nurture, but with better violence, is a feminist act. And I remember watching the film, I felt really mixed about it. I was moved to tears many times by the power of seeing a major superhero blockbuster with a female hero at the very centre of it. But at the same time, it's 2017. I feel like it should have happened such a long time ago. Um, And on top of that, the film was criticised for lacking intersectionality. Rather than representing real women and their multiple identities, it satisfies the societal image of the so-called ideal woman, inhumanly strong, (laughs) super sexy, and a walking contradiction of the competing demands placed on women's shoulders today. Yeah, I felt exactly the same. I was like, yeah, okay, cool, but also... It's, like, not really pushing any boundaries, which I guess 
I don't know, I guess in a mainstream context, mm. like, okay, great. But also it was, like, very, def- like, def- uh, defined by this love story too. Like, True. it wasn't, it, I kind of found it like, oh, you're not really trying to save the world. You're, like, so influenced by... Um, the first this, dude you met, exactly. literally. This, <laughs> <laughs> like, portrayal of, like, monogamous heterosexual love, which yeah. I felt like, oh, okay, Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Anyway, uh, text us your feminist superheroes or your thoughts on Wonder Woman, uh, <laughs> 0409 945 945. After this track, we're going to be talking about why 2018's Black Panther is in many ways the answer to Wonder Woman's lack of intersectionality. Um, we're also asking you about your feminist superheroes. Stick around. For more of that, right after this track from Georgia Smith, it's called I Am. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Bit of a language warning on this one. Yeah. <laughs> 
That was Georgia Smith with I Am. You're tuned into Agenda on FBI Radio. We're talking about feminism and superheroes today. So in contrast to the Wonder Woman film, which was criticised for its severe lack of intersectionality, (laughs) uh, 2018's Black Panther has been praised for performing the tricky balancing act of writing fully realised women and female characters into a traditionally male-centred narrative by wholeheartedly believing that they are integral to the storytelling. So the fact that Black Panther has a wider variety of uh, women to identify with is a crucial step uh, towards truly progressive feminism on screen. And far out, the Wakandan women in Black Panther were 100% more badass than any of the dudes, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> we seem to have come a long way in the portrayal of women of colour and particularly black women in comics, but it was actually in the 1930s that Jackie Orms created the comic Torchy Brown in Dixie to Harlem, becoming the first African-American woman cartoonist to create a syndicated newspaper comic strip in the segregated press. Orms work, uh, produced work for over two decades with an entirely black cast with female leads. An entire 30 years after Torchy Brown, Jim Lawrence would create and write Friday Foster, the first comic strip to feature a black female lead character in the mainstream press. In 1975, it became the first comic book adaptation to the silver screen featuring an African-American woman as the lead and what is arguably the first black woman-led comic book movie starring Pam Grier. Since then, the appearance of black female actors portraying superheroes on screen has also been pretty gradual, but progress is being made. Eartha Kitt's Catwoman, the breakout performances of the leading women in Black Panther, and even Zoe Saldana portraying Gamora in 2018's Avengers Infinity War. Another great portrayal of women of colour in superhero comics is Marvel's Kamala Khan, uh, also known as Ms. Marvel, um, a reimagined version of the 1977 character. So reborn as Marvel's first Muslim character to headline her own comic book. Khan made her first appearance in Captain Marvel 14 in 2013 uh, before going on to star in the solo series Ms. Marvel um, which debuted in February 2014. So the series was created by Sanya Amanat who, like her character, is a Pakistani-American woman. So Tanya, you've read Ms. Marvel. I have. <laughs> um, you bet I have. <laughs> and I'm not joking, my heart is literally swelling thinking about it. Ms. Marvel is, as we've mentioned, a Muslim Pakistani-American teen named Kamala Khan and the comics are set right now which is really incredible um, and super important. I think the series is probably the only comic series that I've ever read in real time. I'm always so keen to know when a new volume is out which is weird because I didn't grow up around comics. It was never something that really interested me but Miss Marvel is just so relevant and the stories are so good. I think the fact that Sana Amanat is writing from experience is incredibly important, especially in an industry where a lot of the face value representation we see is written or voiced by either men or white people. Um, there's also some really interesting dialogue in the series about the difficulties of being a young Muslim girl in Trump's America who also has superpowers, she's trying to learn how to control and then also has to deal with all of the classic struggles of being in high school. And I love the way that they portray diaspora and family and so many different ways of being every identity that they kind of include in their 
characters. So there's different ways of being queer portrayed, different ways of being Muslim and black, um, and so much more. Every story is also underpinned by Kamala Khan's strength and kindness and deep relatability. A true feminist icon, IMO. Wow, you've really sold it to me. Um, (laughs) It's so good. I'll lend you a copy. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, feminism in superhero stories seems to be definitely having a moment. With the production team is predominantly female, uh, the new season of Jessica Jones remodels the victim narrative post Me Too. The 2017 Spider-Man film also steps away from the traditional masculinity of the franchise. Uh, Marvel's new female Thor is outselling her male predecessor by 30%. Um, <laughs> Batwoman was reintroduced to the DC world as being both Jewish and a lesbian, so ironic because she was initially introduced in 1956 as a love interest for Batman in order to combat the allegations of Batman's homosexuality. <laughs> so. <laughs> I you know, that. <laughs> really gone rainbow families on, on Batman. <laughs> There's also the upcoming film Captain Marvel, which is due for release next March. It stars Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, the character also known as Carol Danvers. So Danvers first appeared in a 1968 comic and has been labelled as um, Marvel's biggest female hero. She's a pretty blatantly feminist character. She was formerly known as Ms. Marvel, a different reincarnation of the series that we mentioned earlier. She fought for equal pay for equal work in her civilian identity and she was even visually inspired by activist Gloria Steinem. However, her character hasn't always been portrayed in the most progressive way. In a 1980 Avengers comic, Carol Danvers was part of an infamous and insanely irresponsible story involving kidnapping and rape um, and ending with Danvers riding off into the sunset with her rapist as her Avengers teammates wiped away tears of joy. Um, (laughs) By the end of the 80s, Danvers' character, then known as Miss Marvel, was axed, and it wasn't until 20 years later that Marvel commissioned writer Kelly Sue DeCormick to give Danvers her own series as Captain Marvel, reimagining her as a fiercely competitive pilot in a full-length jumpsuit. Loki, though, I kind of wish they were making a Ms. Marvel movie with Kamala Khan um, instead of a Captain Marvel movie, but I guess that's a bad mentality um, because there can be both. There can be so many. Feminist superheroes for all. <laughs> True. Um, if you've just tuned into Agenda on FBI Radio, we want to know who your feminist superheroes are, so please text us on 0409-945-945. Of course, speaking of feminist superheroes, we can't really go past Buffy. Um, Though the TV series ended after seven seasons in 2003, our 90s feminist icon still lives on through a comic book series, Um, but it's definitely the original show that's had the most lasting impact. So a truly radical and influential series. Buffy's origin story subverted one of pop culture's most famous tropes. Um, The idea for the series came about when creator Joss Whedon A horror movie fanatic uh, wondered what it might look like to let that blonde girl who's always getting herself killed fight back. So while Buffy wasn't pop culture's first female superhero (laughs) and definitely wasn't that intersectional either, um, (laughs) her success and popularity really, I think, paved the way for like a lot of stories like hers. And it was just such a huge thing. Everyone was so obsessed with Buffy. Okay, I'd never watched Buffy and that feels like a huge gap in my knowledge as well. I've just I've heard so many good things about it, but I'm overwhelmed as I am anytime there's like a legacy TV show that I haven't touched. I'm like, how do I begin? I well maybe we should swap. I'll read Miss Marvel and you can watch Buffy and yeah, we'll come deal. back with some critical thoughts about 
both. <laughs> um, stick around because we'll be hearing from Megan Wilding about Blackie Blackie Brown, Nakia Louie's new play, unpacking uh, trauma, revenge and defiance through a superhero origin story. Uh, so this track is also taken from the amazing Black Panther soundtrack. Uh, this is yes. Kendrick Lamar featuring Scissor. It's called All the Stars.
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Uh, I caught up with Megan Wilding this week to chat about Blackie Blackie Brown, which is a play by Nakia Louie that's currently on at Sydney Theatre Company. So let's take a listen to what Megan had to say. I'm joined by Megan Wilding, who plays the character of Jacqueline Black in a play that's currently showing at Sydney Theatre Company called Blackie Blackie Brown, the traditional owner of death by Nakia Louie. So Megan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, I was wondering if you could start by giving me a brief synopsis of the play. Yeah, for sure. Um, So Blackie Blackie Brown is about this mild-mannered archaeologist called Jacqueline Black. And she's on this dig in the bush and she comes across this mass grave and finds this skull. And uh, the skull uh, takes her to this astral plane and tells her that it's her great-great-grandmother and goes through and tells her about the massacre that happened there and kind of charges her with this kind of the opportunity to revenge her. And Jacqueline agrees she gets on board and goes through a training montage and becomes this superhero and starts to avenge uh this massacre that happened to her grandmother and her people and goes through and comes up against you know this weird anti-superhero her villain who wants to turn all black women into white men and yeah she she becomes this really badass superhero and all of the kind of killings and I guess all of the like really bloody gruesome moments do yeah. seem pretty uh, absurd and like, you know, very Tarantino-esque. And I'm wondering like whether that portrayal of violence or whether you think it makes audiences, I guess, more willing to engage with like Australia's very violent history. I think so. I, I think it kind of allows people to laugh and get into it because it's so wild it kind of goes oh well that's that might not happen to me so I can look at it and observe and laugh because the murder montage just is amazing and it's so badass that I think people do get really into it they're really entertained by it and kind of forget for a minute what it's all about I think there are yeah there are a lot of moments where that kind of humor like hooks you in yeah. and then it hits you with this this kind of more serious I mm. guess little like nugget of wisdom or you know like something yeah. that you really have to think about so mm-hmm. I think it was so effective yeah um in that way and the the murder montage mm-hmm. um yeah I was reading also another quote from Nakia that reads um comedy is both incredibly sneaky and incredibly generous and I'm wondering if you had any really fun moments in playing your character because for me that murder montage with that Miss Blanks and Jesswa edit of Woman's World by Akenyo it looks like <laughs> a lot of fun it is so 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 much fun um you know when I was like halfway through rehearsals I got really worried about killing so many people <laughs> and did this montage and it's so it's so I keep saying badass but it is so badass <laughs> it totally it's so, is it's so fun and that's what I think Nakia does really really well is she creates this kind of dialogue with the audience going hey it's okay to get invested in this world and then she just like truth drops which happens immediately after uh murder montage and stuff like and and with the great great grandmother as well it's it's such a great story of of comedy with this like interwoven beautiful story that i think she just does so well and declan handled so well yeah it i guess the um interwoven story also for me was something that was very visual as well mm. with the um 
projections and all of the animation and I was like really blown away by how the video content formed so much of the set and set design yeah um, and I was wondering what it was like kind of navigating that animation heavy production and whether you had any like really weird or funny kind of green screen moments in rehearsing or I still do <laughs> I still do on stage um, I do have a inner ear now that gives me like little beats to know what, when the animation's doing something um, especially because I, I do a lot of it looking away but there's been so much because Elaine's so pre-recorded and stuff um, that I have been like talking and then she's been talking and we're not talking at each other. We're just doing separate things. And then also like the little things of like touching a particular block and it like lights up to something <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't do that. And you're like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> it's been so fun. And I never thought I'd get this opportunity to act with animation on stage which has been just phenomenal. Like, if I wasn't in it, I'd froth over it. Yeah, it's quite phenomenal to watch. And mm. I really also enjoyed how self-referential the characters are with the animation some of the time as well. Like, mm -hmm. there's little moments where you're like, oh, that projection's kind of in my way. You know, like, I quite yeah. liked that it was referencing parts of the animation as, as a part of the storyline. Yeah. Uh, your character in the play has a bit of a moral crisis about halfway mm -hmm. through when she encounters Rebecca. And I guess without giving too much away, would you be able to just touch on Rebecca's story? Yeah, it's it kind of becomes, I think, in the play, less black and white and becomes a grey area with Rebecca because Rebecca is a woman of colour and that kind of stops Blackie in her tracks and she's like, wait, this isn't as right and wrong as I thought it was going to be, as, you know, this this conversation is, which I think Nakia has brought up brilliantly. Um but yeah, she she it's the first kind of uh, victim of hers that she talks to and realizes that they have a life separate from you know this massacre that happened two hundred years ago. And Rebecca's just she's amazing. Rebecca's amazing. <laughs> she's one of the best characters I think I've ever met. But for Blackie, I think it it's definitely it's when the kind of trauma hits her. Going wait, this isn't this is maybe the right way to be dealing with this now. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like, and maybe there's no right way of, you know, like mm. it's, it really, for me, brought up such a nuanced, I guess, understanding of the quest that she was on yeah. as well. Um, the play also had a quite a bit of, or not quite a bit, of, but a bit of um, negative media attention before it even opened mm -hmm. um, with a quote of someone kind of asking whether it was appropriate to glorify murdering people based on their skin colour or you know, of the actions of their distant ancestors. And I think for me that really proved that that person hadn't seen the play as well. Like, it, yeah, it, um, it, it came out, like, I think a week before the show opened or maybe a week and a half. And it was, like, reading it, it was just like, just come and see the play. Yeah, exactly. Just come and see the play. Everything that you're going on about is answered in the play. Like, the character goes through it and you're not really, you don't look like an idiot. <laughs> Like, people are going to read this after they see the show going, wait, what is he talking about? Totally. Um, so just buy a ticket next time <laughs> yeah. before you write a bigger article. Before you critique something. Yeah. Has, the, has the reception of it changed since it's opened? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I went into it quite scared that it was going to get a lot of backlash. But it's, it's that weird thing because I think by the end of the show, we've really got the audience on board. Because I think a lot of people do come in going, oh, what's this going to be about? And it is quite in your face from the get-go. But then they go on this journey and 
they realise it's it is it's complex and they kind of do start empathising with Blackie and it's like they've just been in the conversation rather than like at a distance from it which is really nice so I think it's been getting really really good reception from what I feel from the audience um at the end so yeah, it felt like a very engaged audience yeah watching yeah. it yeah for sure and it's on until June 30th mm-hmm. is that correct yes so quite a few weeks yes <laughs> you've still got time <laughs> so buy a ticket please <laughs> Megan thank you so much for chatting to me about no. Blackie Blackie Brown and congratulations oh, on a fantastic you. performance thanks for having me <laughs> thanks so much bye the next good song contains some bad words And we stronger with numbers. I heard you before. Wanted more shout out to all your daughters. I see a stress from the usual lessons of life. Time to sit back and listen to a handy advice. Don't take your shit from a boy that should be in your shadow. You reign supreme, live your dreams, and we gotta recover from the pain caused birth in these boys. Say mama, not here for this patriarchal drama. G to the I to the RLS. I see some of y'all hella stress, hella stress. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better eat it up before I take it away. BLB, cause POC, we fighting back on policy. And you can call me feminazi, go ahead and call me nasty. Hey, your bubble burst, fighting like a girl. Roll drama, roll up the power of the female force. When I sat up on the same throne, it's she gone. We lost when this on us, I came like Farrakhan. Lift this female pheromone, it makes the pharaohs moan. Cleopatra toes that cut links are powerful. The Sphinx's nose is falling. Clink your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Raise your glasses, melt the thighs like ice. Clink your glasses, our flashes. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. Woo! Clink your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Raise your glasses, melt the thighs like ice. Clink your glasses, our flashes. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. Uh. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better eat it up before I take it away. Y'all can't tell me shit I know who I am, know what I'm gon' get Vicious on the stage, delicious and I'm thick Just remember who birthed you, bitch I be rockin' microphones, ladies on my chubby bones Sudden they ain't see before they live with my music on Tell the boys to watch the phone, I'm comin' be my locker phone Martinis while I work hey, on your grave I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate So you better eat it up before I take it away I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better eat it up before I take it away. It's a woman's world. It's a woman's world. It's a woman's world. It's a woman's world. It's a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better. Eat it up before I take it away.